We are in Matthew 17 this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. We continue through the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Father, we pray you would help me give your people the sense of your word and help them understand the reading. We ask, O God, you would help me come to the pulpit, not with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to your people the testimony of God, but help me determine not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Help my speech and my preaching not be with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your people's faith may not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Help me preach the gospel and present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Help me not to preach myself, but Christ Jesus the Lord and myself a slave for Jesus' sake. Help me not preach Christ from envy, strife, or selfish ambition, but help me to preach Him from goodwill and out of love. Help me preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that I may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Help me preach the Word. Help me be ready in season and out of season. Help me convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Help me preach the gospel so that it does not come to your people in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and much assurance. Help me praise, help us praise your works and declare your mighty acts. Help us speak of the might of your awesome acts and declare your greatness. Help me speak of the glory of your kingdom and your power. Grant that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Help me to diligently present myself approved to you, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God, help us to believe what I preach. Grip us with it and humble us with it and help us exult in it until we're lost in love and praise. God, help me give your people a sense of you and your presence when I preach. Help me to give them a glimpse of your glory and majesty, the love of Christ my Savior and the magnificence of the gospel. Lord, cut all the ribbons that tie me to the frowns and smiles of men and drive a still beam down my backbone and free me to serve you for your glory alone. Lord, help me seek to serve your people and not impress them with myself. May I impress them with Jesus. May they not say what a wonderful preacher, but what a wonderful Savior. Father, make me one of your special instruments of revival and use me in your glorious employ. Make me mighty in the Scriptures and make my life dominated by a sense of your greatness, your majesty, and your holiness. Please make my mind and heart aglow with the great truths of the doctrines of grace and cause me to learn what it is to die to self and to all human aims and personal ambitions. Please make us willing to be fools for Christ. Please make us willing to bear reproach and falsehood for your sake. Please help us labor and be willing to suffer for your name's sake. Please make our supreme desire not to be to gain earth's rewards, but to win your pleasure when we appear before your awesome judgment seat. Lord, please help me to preach with a broken heart and tear-filled eyes. And please grant the ministry here an extraordinary effusion of your Holy Spirit and allow us to witness signs and wonders following in the transformation of multitudes of human lives. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. 
Amen. In the last few weeks, we heard Jesus tell us in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then Jesus gave us reasons for why we should deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Number one, if you lose your life for Jesus' sake, you will find it. Number two, Jesus is coming back. Number three, Jesus is going to repay each person according to what he has done. And number four, some of the disciples will see Jesus coming in his kingdom. Jesus told his disciples that some standing there would see Jesus coming in power and glory in his kingdom. And and often, as you see prophecies in the Old Testament, there is a fulfillment a near fulfillment, a fulfillment during those days of the prophet, and then a later fulfillment. We see uh, 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 prophecies like that even in the virgin birth. There was a child that was born in that day and time, and then there was the child who would be born of a virgin. And we we sort of see that happening here. Uh, We we, we spoke about this, how there there, there are later fulfillments of, of this seeing of the kingdom coming at at, at, at Jesus' death and resurrection, at, at Pentecost, at, at the ascension, as Brother Bob mentioned. Uh, and yet there's this near end time uh, uh, fulfillment in, 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 right after Jesus says it in the transfiguration. And that's what we see in our text today. We see the, the fulfillment of, of, of what Jesus said would come. The, some of the disciples would, would not die until they see him coming in his kingdom. And we see that today in the transfiguration. We see the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. J.C. Ryle wrote, Christ is He who has the keys of death and hell. Christ is the anointed priest who alone can absolve sinners. Christ is the fountain of living waters in whom alone we can be cleansed. Christ is the Prince and Savior who alone can give repentance and remission of sins. In Him all fullness dwells. He is the way, the door, the light, the life, the shepherd, the altar of refuge. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son has not life. May we all strive to understand this. No man ever thought too much of Christ. And, and this is the, the point of every sermon in, 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 in the Gospels and, and, and that every sermon I hope I ever preach will, will point you to Jesus Christ because as we behold Him, we are changed by Him. He's transfigured and we are transformed into His likeness. Jesus has His transfiguration here, but we, we come here today to have our transformation. We pursue Him to be transformed. We read our Bibles and pray and pursue Him because we want to be transformed. And, and we do that mainly, primarily, of most importance, by beholding Jesus, by looking to Jesus. Behold your God and become more like Him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Beloved, if you're a Christian here today, that's what God is doing to you. He's making you more like Jesus. As you behold Christ, as you look to Christ, as you meditate upon Jesus Christ, as you read His words and commune with Him in prayer and worship, He's transforming you. He's transforming you. And so we come together every Sunday, and we come together today to again behold the Lord Jesus Christ together. Point number one, Jesus takes some of His disciples up a high mountain. Look at Matthew 17, 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. You're going to hear and see many echoes uh, of of what Jesus does today in, in, in what God does in the Old Testament 
like places like Mount Sinai with Moses. You're going to hear echoes of that. And as God revealed himself to Moses then, so Jesus, the God-man, reveals himself to his disciples and to us here. Notice details are spoken in this uh, verse six days. It's it's rare for, for... Uh, the gospel writers to give time periods like this after six days and many think this echoes back to God meeting with uh, Moses on Mount Sinai Exodus 24 uh, 15 through 16 Exodus 24 15 through 16 then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days And Jesus took Peter, James, and John. This is Jesus' inner circle. Jesus has these three closest disciples, and Jesus has chosen them, and He takes them up with Him to witness this amazing transfiguration. Beloved, be reminded that God has often revealed Himself in powerful ways on high mountains. God has often revealed Himself in powerful ways on high mountains. Isaiah 40 verse 9, Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And here again, Jesus goes up on a high mountain, and we behold our God. One writer writes about some of these high mountain encounters. Mount Sinai is also sometimes called Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is the place where Moses saw the burning bush and where God spoke to him and sent him on a mission to Egypt to bring the Israelites out of slavery. Mount Sinai was the mountain in the wilderness where after the crossing of the Red Sea, God met with Moses and delivered the law So Moses received the law and saw the presence of God in the same area he originally encountered God in the burning bush. Moses spent an extended time on Sinai and God allowed Moses to witness some of his glory. When Moses came back down the mountain, his face was shining with the glory of God. The people were afraid of him, so he put a veil over his face so he would not frighten the Israelites. Sinai also features into the story of the prophet Elijah. When running from Queen Jezebel, Elijah stopped to rest in the desert. There an angel of the Lord fed him and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. At Horeb or Sinai, Elijah stayed in a cave where he met the Lord. God spoke to him with a still small voice. The parallels between Elijah's experience and Moses' are significant. Both prophets were sustained by God for 40 days and nights. Both met God and heard His audible voice. Both were in the same location. Throughout the rest of Scripture, Mount Sinai is associated with the giving of the law. Hundreds of years later, Nehemiah publicly prays, You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. In Galatians 4, 4 through 25, Paul uses Mount Sinai metaphorically to represent the law and Old Covenant. Paul also speaks of Moses' face that shone an evident, an event extricably linked to Sinai in 2 Corinthians. He says that the law involved glory as evidenced by Moses' face, but it was a fading glory. Paul calls the law the ministry of death because it condemned all who broke it. Paul notes how much more glory And lasting glory is present in the ministry of the Spirit and the gospel that brings life. And so we hear these echoes in this uh, Mount of Transfiguration story. Moses is there. Elijah is there. God uh, met with Moses. God met with Elijah. And God meets with Moses and Elijah and his disciples because Jesus is God. And Moses' face shone so bright from being in the presence of God. And Jesus' face shines bright because He is God. Beloved, Jesus is God. And God often met with people on mountains 
And Jesus meets with His disciples on a mountain here. And He meets with us today. And Jesus chose three witnesses. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And Jesus takes three of His disciples with Him to, 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 to view this amazing unveiling of the Son of God. Beloved, remember that Jesus had just received the strongest rebuke by Jesus. Peter had just received the strongest rebuke by Jesus. Remember, Peter did not get that this would be a suffering Messiah. Jesus would be a suffering Savior. And he he says, never, Lord, you'll never go to the cross. And, And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. For you're not thinking about the things of God, but the things of man. And yet, Peter still gets to go up the mountain. That's amazing grace. Any, 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 any wicked sinners here last week? Six days ago you did something. A week ago you did something. You don't even deserve to be in, in the church thinking the walls are going to fall down if God knew what you did. Beloved, hear this. Peter just received the strongest rebuke by Jesus, get behind me, Satan, and yet he gets to go up the mountain. This is a picture of the lavish grace of God. The lavish grace and patience and love of God for sinners. Brian Davis comments, last week's sin does not exclude us from receiving transforming grace today. And Peter spoke of what he saw and heard. He, 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 he testifies to what he saw and heard. And we have that testimony recorded for us in the book 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1, 16-19, we read, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure. The prophetic word. We have something more sure. The prophetic, now, uh, interpreters understand this in one of two ways. One way is, is that the prophetic word is more sure to us now. The, the scriptures are more sure to us now because it's been confirmed by this amazing vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see God often do that when he sends his messengers, he confirms his word with signs and wonders. Others interpret this statement this way. You think visions are something. You you, you think visions and experiential experiences are something. We have something more sure than even that amazing vision we had of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have something more sure, the prophetic Word of God written down for all eternity. You can take it to the bank, beloved. We have something more sure, the prophetic word of God Almighty, written down in a book that testifies to the beauty and glory and honor and splendor of Jesus Christ. Old Peter testified to what he saw. He was a good witness. And so Jesus takes these three up on the mount And we see in verse 2 that Jesus is transfigured. Look at verse 2. And He was transfigured before them and His face shone like the sun and His clothes became white as light. Beloved, God shines like the sun. God shines like the sun. Psalm 84.11 For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. Isaiah 60 verses 19-21 through The sun shall know Uh, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down 
nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. God shines like the sun, and this passage tells us that Jesus Christ's face shone like the sun. Conclusion, Jesus is God Almighty. This is what the transfiguration shows us in a powerful way. One pastor says this, I believe that this is the greatest single testimony given on the pages of Holy Scripture to the deity of Jesus Christ. Deity of Christ, that He is divine, that He is God. First of all, His deity is made evident by the transformation of the Son. Now, if you ever have any question about who Jesus Christ is, it should end at this text. For here he pulls back the veil of his flesh and reveals the same glory that Moses saw on the mount in Exodus 33. The same glory that they saw in the tabernacle in Exodus 40. The same glory that came down in the temple in 1 Kings 8. It is that very same Shekinah, that that dwelling presence of God, that very same essence of God in blazing fullness. And when Jesus pulls back the veil of his flesh, it is that he may reveal himself to be God, very God. The blazing one. The one who is eternally the lamp in which dwells the glory that lights eternity. Leviticus 9, God appears in light. Exodus 24, God appears to Moses as light. Exodus 40, 34-35, the tabernacle is completed and God appears in the Shekinah glory as light. Numbers 14, Numbers 16, Numbers 20, God appears in light. And here, God appears in light in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 104, 1 through 2 says, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak. Beloved, this is what Jesus does in our passage. Jesus is God. Hebrews 1, 2 through 3, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he made the world and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of His nature. Jesus Christ is unfathomably glorious and majestic and beautiful. In this transfiguration of Jesus Christ, nothing was added to Him in the transfiguration. He wasn't made into something that He was not. God simply lifted the veil to show the disciples the beautiful Christ in all His glory. As the, 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 the Christmas hymn, the Godhead veiled in flesh. What, how does it go, Michael? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Nothing was added to Jesus. God just pulled back the veil, pulled up the veil to show what's truly really there. Isn't that such a contrast to us? Remember when Adam and Eve were unveiled? They hid themselves. When we're often unveiled, it's not very glorious, is it? When people sometimes see the true you, it's not always pretty. Not so with Jesus. Not so with with Jesus. He is altogether lovely. And the more we see of Him, the more we get to know of Him, the more we see that He's altogether lovely. And in this transfiguration, God is pulling back the veil. He's Think of John 17, 5. Now, Jesus prayed, Now, Father, glorify me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. And God gives us a glimpse of this glory that Jesus had before the world was that was veiled in flesh in His humiliation. That was veiled. Philippians 2.8, being found in the appearance of man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 2 Peter 1.16, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. They saw the majesty of of the Lord Jesus Christ unveiled 
in power and glory and beauty. I think MacArthur helpfully points out, John MacArthur, that this, this is a miniature picture of Christ's second coming. He gave five ways. Number one, Jesus is at the center of attention in power and glory. As he's described when he comes back, he will be the center of attention in power and glory. Number two, Zechariah 14.4 says he will come and his feet will touch what? The Mount of Olives. He, he will come back on a mountain. And Jesus is on a mountain here. Three, Jesus will come to his people. And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John representing God's people as he comes to them and shows him his glory and beauty. Number four, he will come not only to his people, but with his people. First Thessalonians 3.13, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so he comes with Moses and Elijah, the saints of God. And beloved, remember, Moses died, but Elijah didn't. Moses represents the saints who died, who will be raised from the dead. And Elijah represents the saints who are alive at His coming, who will be translated and will also never die. This transfiguration is a miniature picture of Christ's second coming. Why would God do this? Why would God lift the veil? At least three reasons to encourage His Son. We're told in Hebrews 12 too, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. For the joy set before Him, the Father is encouraging the Son with the glory He will be enjoying again as He once did. And so for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. He's encouraging His Son to go forth into battle and win the victory through His death and resurrection. 2 Peter 1.17, Peter said, For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, Jesus was receiving honor and glory from God the Father at the transfiguration. This also happened to encourage Jesus' three disciples. They were pillars of the church. Galatians 2.9, James and Cephas and John who were reputed to be pillars. James was the first disciple after Pentecost to have the privilege of being martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ. Tradition tells us Peter was crucified upside down for the name of Jesus. John was exiled from his homeland for the sake of Jesus Christ. These men would suffer. All of Jesus' disciples would be killed. When, when Jesus told the disciples to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him, it was very literal. <laughs> they were all going to die for following Jesus Christ, except John, who would be exiled. And so this is to encourage these brothers. Listen, you're going to suffer it's going to be hard, but I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us. Romans 8, 18, and, and Jesus gives them a little picture of this glory, that they might be encouraged to go forth into battle, go forth into war for the Lord Jesus Christ and suffer because it's going to be as nothing compared to what you're going to receive in glory. And so take heart, Christian. Take heart, Christian. Because the, you're, you're going to see what they saw someday. <laughs> Take heart in whatever you're suffering. Take heart in whatever pains you're going through. Take heart in whatever losses you're facing because this glorious vision that we're given in Matthew 17, you're going to get, you're going to see Him. You're going to see the Lord Jesus someday and you're going to know it was all worth it and you're going to be able to say that you considered the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. They're not worthy to be compared. They're not worthy to be compared. There's no comparison. You, you can't even say it's like apples and oranges. You can't even say like. It's not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Take heart, Christian. Take heart, believer. Oh, we have a, we have a glorious future coming. Cling to Christ. Cling to Christ. Hold fast to Him. He will see you through. He will help you. He will sustain you. He will uphold you. Whatever you're suffering. And God did this to show us who Jesus is. 
God unveiled the Son to show us who Jesus is. Jesus is God Almighty. He's not like God. He's not a God. He's God. He's truly God. All the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus Christ bodily. Point number three, Moses and Elijah appear and speak with Jesus. Look at verse three. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Moses and Elijah's presence teach us that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises, all the law and the prophets. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. He is the yes and amen to all God's promises. More importantly, Moses and Elijah point to the fact that with Jesus coming, the last days are here. The Messiah has come. Jesus is fulfilling all God's promises and the last days have come in Christ. We are in the last days. We have been since Jesus came. These are the last days. The presence of Moses points to God's final prophet. In Deuteronomy 18.15, we read, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You listen to him. Does that parallel anything in our text? God's voice comes from heaven and says, listen to him. You listen to him. Deuteronomy 18.15. God the Father tells us the same thing in Matthew 17. Listen to him. Listen to him. We see God's mercy on Moses as well here. Remember Moses asked to see God's glory? And, 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 and <laughs> Moses couldn't take it. But that's why we need glorified bodies someday because these bodies can't take the pleasure and joy and ecstasy that we will experience when we see God. We need new bodies. We need whole new bodies to be able to take in the beauty of God. These, we, these eyes can't do it. And, 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 and so... I, I, Moses, nobody can see me and live, but I'll hide you in a rock and I'll let you see my backside. And just that made his face shine. But here, God answers his prayer in a special way. Mark Jones, we're reading Mark Jones' book, uh, Knowing Christ. And I want to tell you, beloved, I think that book is going to become... But one of my favorite books outside the Bible. If you've not read that, I have copies. You ought to get it and read it if you just want to soak in Jesus. And I happen to notice he has a chapter on the transfiguration, and I read it, and I just want to read the chapter for my sermon. Get that book and read it if you want to behold Christ. It is amazing. Join us on Wednesday. I have extra copies. Just let me know. But, but, but he, Mark Jones writes about, about the mercy that God had on Moses. Remarkably, God answered Moses' prayer many years later. In fact, even after he had departed from this world, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses saw God's face. For Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God and the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What Moses desired on earth, he saw on earth. He saw God's glory and lived. And beloved, also remember, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land because of his sin. Remember, Moses did not glorify the Lord and didn't obey his commandments and struck the rock instead of speaking to it and lost his temper. And because of that, God said, you will not enter the promised land. Moses even pled and begged with God, please. And God says, don't talk to me about this again. All the things Moses did. God didn't let him in. God gave him something better. God gave him something better. Here he is on the. He gave him something better than the promised land. <laughs> he got to see Jesus in all his glory, in all his majesty. This is God's mercy on sinner Moses. The presence of Elijah points to the nearness of the day of the Lord. We're told in Malachi 4, 5, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day 
of the Lord. And here's Elijah appearing. He appears here. And we're going to learn next week that he also appears in the person of John the Baptist. But this points us to the fact that the, the Lord is here. The Lord is coming. The presence of Moses and Elijah point us to the sufferings of Jesus Christ because they too were rejected by God's people like Jesus would be. The presence of Moses and Elijah point to the deliverance that Jesus would accomplish by His departure. Daniel Doriani comments both Both Moses and Elijah labored to deliver God's people. Moses led Israel out of Egypt and Elijah fought to deliver them from the terrible alien grip of Baal, the God who promised them prosperity. Both of of these men are foreshadowing the deliverance, the great deliverance that Jesus Christ would bring. The greater exodus. (laughs) The greater deliverance that would finally take away all of our idols like like the new covenant uh, prophecies say that I will take away from you your idols. I will sprinkle you with clean water. I will put my spirit in you and write my law in your heart and cause you to obey me. Jesus is the greater deliverer. These men were deliverers, but Jesus is the greater deliverer. Both Moses and Elijah had unusual departures or exoduses from this world. Moses died alone with God on a mountain. And God took Elijah to heaven on a chariot of fire. Jesus died alone on a hill, forsaken by God. And Jesus conquered death and hell and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Beloved, think of all the great things that Moses, God used Moses to do. (laughs) Lead God's people through all the plagues of Egypt and lead them through the Red Sea out into the wilderness, freeing them from bondage to slavery and taking them up on, going up on the mountain, receiving the word, the covenant of God and the ten words and leading God's people. Elijah. God used Elijah to conquer those Bell worshipers and turn God's people away from idolatry. God took Elijah up to heaven on a chariot of fire. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than Elijah and Moses and anyone else. Not even worthy to be compared. And what did Jesus speak with Moses and Elijah about on this Mount of Transfiguration? They spoke about the cross. We read about the Transfiguration in Luke 9, 30-31. And behold, two men were talking with Him. And they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of His departure. That's the same Greek word, exodus. They were speaking about His exodus which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They were speaking about the cross. They were speaking about his death. Martin Luther said, there is, no, there is not a word in the Bible which can be understood apart from the cross. There is not a word in the Bible which can be understood apart from the cross. And they spoke here about what Jesus would suffer for sinners on the cross. Friend, have you gone to the cross? Have you gone to the cross? You will not understand the Bible unless you go there first. You won't understand one word in the Bible unless you go to the cross first. Because the Bible teaches that apart from the saving knowledge of Christ, this doesn't make sense. The Word of God doesn't make sense. The truth about Jesus doesn't make sense. That that you can't get it. You can't grasp it. You can't understand it unless you first come to the cross. And and the cross says that that all are sinners. The, The cross says that we are so bad in our sin. That we are so rebellious against God that it took the Son of God dying. To cleanse us from our sin. The cross testifies that we're all sinners. That we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As, as, as Brother Anthony prayed to begin our service. We, we've sinned by what we've done and by what we've left undone. We, we, we've sinned because we should have done this and not done that. But we haven't done that and we've done that. 
We sin against God in manifold ways in thought, word, and deed. And because of that sin, we deserve what happened to Jesus on the cross, namely the wrath of God. We deserve to be forsaken by God in hell and being punished by God in hell and bearing the wrath forever and ever and ever. That's what we deserve. But we don't get that because God loves sinners. He loves sinners and He sent His Son Jesus to live a perfect life. To always obey, to always trust, to always do what the Father told Him to do. And He died on that cross that He's speaking to Moses and Elijah about. He died on that cross. He, he departed in that way. He, he suffered God's curse and wrath and judgment. He, he suffered the hell that you and I deserve. And He died and He was buried. But on the third day, on the third day, it's why we meet today. It's why we didn't meet yesterday. We, we meet today because we're Christians. We meet on Sunday, the Lord's Day, because He rose up today. And, and so we're celebrating. We're not waiting till April 9th. We don't wait till April 9th. We celebrate every Sunday, we, every day. But especially on the Lord's Day. We celebrate. He conquered sin, death, and hell. He's alive. And we can live through Him. If we turn from our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, have you done that? Young person, have you done that? Have you believed on Christ? The word of God is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you would like to talk with me about that, I'll be here afterwards. There are other Christians who would love to speak with you. We want everyone here today leaving knowing they've believed on Jesus and belong to Him. And then you'll understand the Bible. Then you'll understand the, the Word of God. You can read with understanding and excitement. Before it would, would be boring. But, 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 but when you come to the cross and come to Christ, you begin to, to delight in Him and His Word and it makes sense. And so Jesus spoke with Moses and Elijah about the cross. Peter responds. Look at Peter. Peter desires to make three tents. Look at verse 4. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Here, here, here Peter is again, as he often does, speaking before thinking other places on the transfiguration say he didn't know what to say, so he just said something. Here's Peter again wanting the glory without the cross. The crown without the cross. Let's just stay here. This is amazing. Let's just stay here. I like what R.T. France says on this. Peter's proposal to build shelters for Jesus and his respected and impressive visitors may be no more than a spontaneous and rather inept attempt to rise to the occasion with proper hospitality. Or perhaps he wants to institutionalize the fleeting vision as Moses set up the tent of meeting. If so, he has again misunderstood Jesus' mission, which is not to stay on the holy mountain, but to go down to the cross. And then God the Father speaks. <laughs> I heard one pastor say, Peter had a rough several days. He got rebuked by Jesus, and now he's rebuked by the Father. <laughs> Rebuked by God the Son and now rebuked by God the Father. God the Father declares His love for and pleasure in God the Son. Look at verse 5. He was still speaking when behold, God going to interrupt Peter. Be quiet, Peter. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. The bright cloud represents God's presence. Again, think back to the Exodus. Exodus 24, 15 through 16. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. God is here. God is here. God is here in the Son. God is here. The, the Father shows up. God the Father declares His love for and His pleasure in His Son. 
The Father expressed this love and delight at Jesus' baptism as well. This is sort of like the bookends of of Jesus' ministry. At the very beginning of the ministry, the Father declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And as Jesus prepares to go and die, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father loves His Son. The Father loves His Son. His son obeys him perfectly. His son will lay down his life for sinners. The father loves his son. And beloved, be encouraged. In Christ Jesus, God loves you this way. If if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're united to him. And God says this to you. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. God says that to you. God says that to you, men, women, and children in Christ. He says that you're you're my son. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. And God the Father commands Jesus' disciples to listen to Jesus. Jesus is more important than Moses. Jesus is more important than Elijah. Above all, we listen to Jesus who inspired both Moses and Elijah to do and to say all that they did and said and wrote. Jesus inspired that. We listen to Jesus. We obey Jesus. We read Jesus' words in our Bibles. We read about Him in our Bibles. We listen to Him. He is the fulfillment of what Moses said. One would come like Him. Listen to Him. And and the Father says, listen to Jesus. R.T. France says, in this context, there's perhaps an implied rebuke of Peter's recent failure to grasp Jesus' teachings about Messiah's role. Peter, quit telling Jesus what He will and won't do. You listen to Him. Another commentator, Lane, says Jesus Himself is the new tabernacle of divine glory. His Word and deed transcend all past revelation. Believer, be reminded, God makes this declaration upon you. You are God's beloved sons in Christ. And because you are loved by God, listen to Him. Listen to Him. Follow Him. Obey Him. Next, we see the fear of the disciples. Look at verses 6 and 7. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. They were terrified. When God appears in all His glory and power, human beings are terrified. One writer describes it this way. God descended on Mount Sinai with with a terrible display of power. Thunder and lightning, a dark cloud, fire and smoke, the blast of a trumpet, the quaking of the earth. God thundered out His commands to the people. They were so frightened that they asked that God speak to Moses and let Moses be the intermediary in Exodus 20, 19. Beloved, when God shows up, people tremble. When God shows up, people are trembling and terrified and God has shown up in the person of His Son and and He has shown up here in the cloud and the disciples are terrified, filled with fear. But we see the comfort of Jesus. Matthew 17, 7. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. Jesus Tender, loving, patient, kind, touches them. He touches them. It's okay. Don't fear. I am here. Jesus calms their fears. Jesus calms our fears. As the hymn writer wrote, Be still my soul. The waves and wind still know His voice. Who ruled them while He lived below. Beloved, that, that's one of the, the effects of, 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 of staring at Jesus, beholding Jesus, thinking of Jesus, thinking of, of the greatness and beauty of our God is that it, it calms our fears. It calms our fears. When, when I am most frightened in life, terrified, sometimes uh, paralyzed by fear about something or the future, 
I remember when I was a naval officer and I was getting ready to check in to my first ship and I was terrified. This big old uh, cruiser that I, that I was checking into and I felt uh, totally unable. I can't do this. I can't do this. I, when, I, when I face situations like this, my go-to is I read Isaiah 40. I read Isaiah 40. I need to be reminded that the nations are a drop in a bucket. That they are dust and less than dust and nothing. I need to remind and be reminded that God is, is great and God is big and God is powerful and God is good and God is loving and God has this. Behold your God and fear not. And Jesus comes to his disciples and lays his hands on them and, and calms their fears and, and says, rise, have no fear. And then finally, verse 8. May we see Jesus only. Look at verse 8. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw, they saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus only. Jesus is in a class by Himself. They no longer see Moses. They no longer see Elijah. They only see Jesus only. Jesus is the preeminent prophet, priest, and King, and He alone saves. There's no other way to be saved than through Jesus Christ. Buddha cannot save you. Muhammad cannot save you. Confucius cannot save you. Whoever's elected mayor of Philadelphia cannot save you. No president can save you. Your bank account can't save you. Your righteous life can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. They saw Jesus only. And Elijah and Moses are who Jesus uh, pointed to Jesus. They pointed to Jesus Christ. And beloved, we will be transformed as we look to Jesus only, as we trust in Jesus only, as we walk with Jesus only. Only we too will be transformed. First John 3 2 says, We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is our hope that we are being transformed, we're being sanctified, we're, we're, we're growing in Christ's likeness. God is committed to do that, to conform us to the image of Jesus by his Spirit, and we will see him someday. And be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. In glory. This is our future. We behold Him, we trust Him, and we behold what we're looking forward to someday. And it cannot be compared. The sufferings we have now cannot be compared with what we will see then and what we will be then. And we will be transformed all because of what Jesus suffered for us on that cross. Again, listen to Mark Jones. Contrast the transfiguration in the cross. Some scholars have correctly pointed out that the key to understanding the transfiguration lies in understanding it, its parallel to the crucifixion. There are few more beautiful contrasts found anywhere in God's Word than that between the transfiguration and the events surrounding the crucifixion. First, Jesus was revealed in glory on a mountain while He was crucified in shame on the hill of Golgotha. Second, at the transfiguration, Christ's clothing majestically shined white as light while on Golgotha, Jesus was stripped naked and the Roman soldiers shamelessly divided His bloody garments. Third, on the mountain, Moses, representing the law, and Elijah, representing the prophets, gloriously stood beside and spoke with Jesus. While on the cross, two criminals shamefully hung beside and reviled Him. Fourth, on the mountain, a bright cloud overshadowed those present. While on the hill of Golgotha, darkness 
reminiscent of the plague in Egypt, covered the land. Fifth, on the mountain, God publicly declared, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. While on the cross, Jesus cried out so that we would never say this. Never say this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Moreover, the centurion surprisingly, surprisingly testified with others, truly this was the Son of God. And sixth, on the mountain, Peter was thrilled. Lord, it is good that we are here. While on that hill Golgotha, the apostle was hiding and nowhere to be found. In the end, we cannot have the mountain without the hill. We cannot have the mountain without the hill. Jesus' transfiguration revealed his glorification in a bright sensation as the beloved son of all adoration. Jesus chose his witnesses three, Peter and James and John, not me. His choice is always wise and free, so trust his right and good decree. He took them up the mount to see his glory bright. They'd all agree to speak of death upon that tree. He's cast our sins into the sea. And then he rose to make death flee. So bow to him on bended knee and trust the Son. He'll set you free. On that mount, his clothes became the purest white. They shined and dazzled a radiant bright. His face shined like the sun that ends the night. The scene made the three all tremble with fright. He's the God who dwells in an unapproachable, in a, an unapproachable light. His glory and beauty are clear out of sight. He alone heals your sick, sinful plight. He saves to the uttermost with powerful might. He's history's unconquerable shining night who brings you to joy's unspeakable height. He's the God who always does what's right and He'll fill you with everlasting delight. Elijah and Moses show the end is near. Elijah must come for the Christ to appear. The prophet like Moses will speak as God's seer. In Jesus, these fulfillments all are here. May God give you an ear that you might hear. May you turn to God's Christ and believe in fear. For He died on that cross and was stabbed with a spear. Then He rose from the dead and lives without peer. If you trust in Him with faith sincere, He'll save you from hell to a heavenly sphere. And He'll make you like Him to persevere. Jesus is God's holy beloved Son. He's in a class by Himself and second to none. After His face had shined like the sun, only Jesus was left. The others were done. In Him, God's redemption has begun. And if by faith to His arms you'll freely run, you'll be saved in Christ and you'll be God's Son. He'll love you like Christ. He'll never shun. His love for you cannot be outdone. By this truth, your heart forever stun as you find your delight in the face of the Son. Christ Jesus shone bright at the transfiguration. Strong as the sun, His face alteration. His clothes a white light, beauty manifestation. God pulled back the veil of His glorification and showed us His glory for a short duration. Moses and Elijah were there in grand conversation. Peter stunned and stammers about tent accommodation. The father speaks about his beloved son's true relation. I'm pleased with him. Listen to all his communication. The disciples fall down in shock-fear combination. Christ comforts fear not with a touch affirmation. They lift up their eyes to see Jesus only. Salvation. For he would go die as our propitiation. Then rise up alive for our justification. To be our all, only, our life celebration. So praise and worship Him with true adoration. Father, we do pray that we would behold the Lord Jesus Christ in all His beauty and all His glory at the time of transfiguration. Father, we pray that as we behold Him, we would be changed. That we would be transformed. That our hearts and minds and thoughts and desires our priorities, Lord, the way that we live would be transformed more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as we suffer in this life, and we will suffer, 
that we would remember this beautiful vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be reminded, Lord, that our sufferings in this life are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us when we see Him and become like Him as we see Him as He is. Lord, may we be spurred on to faithfulness. May we be spurred on to obedience. May we be spurred on to obey Jesus when He said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him. May we do that, Father. We do that with joy, knowing what awaits us. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.